You've been sold the idea that financial independence is all about some number on your account statement. Or even worse, that you don't qualify because of where you started out. That's just not true. It's not about some well-kept secret of the wealthy. It's about finding the right information and knowing how to apply it. On the Get Ready for the Future show, we're answering your questions so you can start making real financial change today. The journey to true financial independence begins right here, and it starts with you. Welcome in to the Get Ready for the Future show. It's John Shrewsbury and Janet Walker for uh, this uh, edition of the show. And Janet, this is, uh, an, I always love doing the show, and, and this is like old home week because we have, uh, we started this show way back when, 16 or so years ago. Yeah. Uh, and this is the first show that we have done since our birthday of 18 years. Yes, so on July 13th, Jen Wealth turned 18 years old, and uh, somehow, John, you and I managed to get everybody else out of the studio, and it's just you and I who have the mics today, so good luck to all our listeners, because it's back to John and Janet today. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> uh, a lot of stuff going on. We, Of course, we want to take your questions, and you've got an opportunity to do that if you call us uh, or text us at 501-381-5228. Uh, we will get those uh, questions in and create answers and provide them to you right here on the show. So uh, let's just, uh, without any further ado, let's jump in and take our first question today. It comes from Raymond in Bauxite. How should I invest my retirement assets since I'll be able to live in retirement primarily on my guaranteed income from Social Security and my pension? Uh, I would say, Raymond, you're in great shape, first of all, yeah. because this is really, uh, Raymond has a situation that oftentimes we have to step in and build for people to some extent, and that is having that floor of guaranteed income coming in to cover basic living expenses. Uh, number one, uh, Raymond, you're very blessed to be in a situation where you have a pension. Uh, we're not seeing those as many times now as we used to years ago. Obviously, government jobs still provide that and a few others here and there, but you're very blessed to be in that situation. And I would also take the time to applaud you on uh, the fact that your expenses can't be terribly high. If you're able to to meet most of your needs in retirement from your Social Security and your pension, then that means that you've done a good job to not be in a debt situation that's going to require a lot more income for you. So, so good job on that. Yeah, absolutely. And Janet, I think where Raymond finds himself is he literally has a license to freely spend money uh, because he knows that his basic needs are being taken care of. And here's what I mean by that. Oftentimes people live what we like to call around here a just-in-case retirement. Mm -hmm. I don't need to spend that money just in case I, I might run out or just in case something might happen or whatever the case may be. So what you have is a situation with Raymond a very enviable situation mm -hmm. that his basic needs are being taken care of. And so if he's got 401k money, if he's got IRA money, if he's got other investments, then he can pick and choose what he spends and when he spends it and know that will not impact his basic necessities of life. So Raymond, at GenWealth, what we will do is separate required income from desired income when we're talking about your retirement income streams. And as you've indicated, your required income is really being covered from guaranteed sources, your social security and your pension. So anything on top of that is desired income. So I would 
consider what's important to you with that additional money that you have beyond you know the income streams from your social security and pension what do you want to do with that and we can talk about giving we can talk about leaving a legacy and things like that but also I would consider what you want to do in terms of additional desired income on top of the required income that's already being met for example circling back to what John was saying about a lot of people living a just-in-case retirement even if all of your required income needs are met by Social Security and pension, we want you to do some fun things. We want you to have some fun things in retirement and not just get by. So I would recommend that you get a plan together where you have a set amount of money coming in on desired income on a monthly basis. So very much like a predictable paycheck from Social Security or from your pension, you know that each month Month, you're planning on having X amount of additional income, and that gives you the freedom to be able to do some additional fun things. Janet, one thing that I would caution Raymond about is I think that you have to ask yourself this question, Raymond. What am I going to do as far as my health care is concerned? Mm-hmm. And health care is a very expensive proposition. you got to have the deductibles and coinsurance for the, I'm going to say, the routine things throughout life that you're going to have to deal with as you get older. But the big issue, the big elephant in the room with almost every retiree is long-term care. And when I talk about long-term care, people go, nope, I'm not talking about no nursing home. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I, I, but, but this is a reality. You are going to get old and you're either A, going to die, or you're B, you're going to need some care because your body has deteriorated to the point where you've got to have some assistance. Now, that may be uh, home health care. It may not be nursing home care, right. but there is still a major expense there. And Janet, I think that if, if Raymond has additional assets that he needs to sort of ice away some money for long-term care expenses because that is a very high probability for most people. If you're looking at fully self-insuring against any long-term care possibilities, and and I'll reiterate what John said about this does not necessarily mean nursing home. It could be nursing home or, or some type of care facility like that, but it could also be at home. And a lot of these policies are that people get are actually built to help keep them at home. But if we're talking about self-paying, then being able to pay somebody to come and care for you when there are certain things that you can no longer do, but it allows you to stay at home before you would actually have to go to a facility. So the dollar amount that you're looking for, and it may be a little bit above this, it may be a little bit below this, but as a ballpark, if you could set aside a couple of hundred thousand dollars that is just earmarked for this specific purpose for your future needs in terms of home health care or in a facility care, the reason we, we come up with that is if you look at $5,000 $5,000 a month these days is, is a little low on actually being in a facility, but 5000 a month is six thousand. I mean, 60000 in a year's time, so over three years, that's 180000 But we know that that's a little low if you're in a facility for that full period of time. So it would cover in-home care, uh, usually without an issue, unless we're getting to the around-the-clock type of care. But you might want to go a little bit north on that, on the figure. So around 200000 
$1,000 is a good ballpark figure to have set aside. And the reality is if it's more than that, you're still going to have that income coming in from your Social Security and pension and could probably utilize that to help supplement this money. But I, I do think it's critically important for you to address what happens when I can no longer care for myself. Janet, I think it's also important to point out to Raymond that traditional pensions are not necessarily adjusted for inflation. Mm -hmm. And so if you're going to get a raise, you might get a little bit of a bump in Social Security. Some of that gets moderated by the Medicare uh, cost of Medicare premiums and that type of thing. So you want to have some ability to increase your income and your other assets will be able to do that. And I think you also have to think about liquidity, meaning how can I go and make a major purchase? Because cars are going to wear out, roofs are going to blow off, and you have to pay your deductible on your homeowner's insurance. Whatever the case may be, there's always going to be those things in life that you have to take care of. And you've got to have some liquid cash that is not committed to paying your monthly income to you that you can reach and get and be able to do that. So Raymond finds himself in a really cool position. And uh, I think that there's some caveats there that that maybe will help him. Yeah, let, let's go a little bit farther here for Raymond. I was just thinking about taxes for him. Uh, Raymond, you're asking about how you should invest these retirement assets. And, and part of that depends on what type of assets you're talking about. I know that you have in your question called them retirement assets, but they may or may not be retirement assets in the, in the mind of the IRS. And what I mean by that is whether they are in a 401k or other, you know, retirement plan type of vehicle or traditional or Roth IRA, that makes a difference compared to what we call non-qualified money, which is money that does not qualify for special tax treatment. It's just money that you've set aside and invested over the years, but not necessarily in a retirement account. So there are some nuanced things that you just need to be aware of um, when you're withdrawing money from those various types of accounts. You need to understand the taxation on that, or if it's like from a Roth, the fact that it's not taxed when you're withdrawing that in retirement. So just be aware of that. And then also, if you're dealing with traditional IRA dollars, and that includes even if it's in a 401k, when you get to the point of having to take required minimum distributions, you the, the danger, John, that some people get into when they have pension and Social Security covering their needs is sometimes they forget to take the amount of money from those retirement plans that they are required to take. And that gets into some significant tax penalties. So just be sure that you don't... Um, forget to withdraw what the IRS says that you have to withdraw at that point. Now, we've thrown a lot at you, and you may be sitting there going, well, lucky Raymond, he's got all that. I don't even know where to start. Well, if you don't know where to start or if you need a little help, you need this guide to financial independence. It is a securing financial independence, seven steps to building a sustainable life after work. That's what Raymond has done. That's what he's working on. If you need some help with those steps, then just let us know. Visit GetReadyForTheFuture.com forward slash steps, or you can email show at getreadyforthefuture.com and we'll be glad to send you your very own copy of Securing Financial Independence, Seven Steps to Building a Sustainable Life After Work. All right, let's move on to the next question that we've got. This is from Shante in Little Rock. I am not happy with my advisor, but I don't really know what to look for in a new one. What questions should I ask? And should I wait until the market calms down to make a change? 
Well, I, let me first of all say that if you're waiting on the market to calm down, <laughs> you might be waiting a while. Till death do us part, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, markets are volatile all the time. And Janet, we have used this analogy before that when you switch advisors or you move from a 401k into IRA accounts or what have you, market volatility is really not a major factor because what you're doing is you're going from market-based investments to market-based investments. And it's a little like uh, switching elevators in a hotel on the same floor. Yeah. If you're in a high-rise building and let's say that you've you've gone from ground level, uh, starting out as an investor, you've gone from ground level and you've gone up to the, the 20th floor. And then you went back down to the 17th floor. And you decide, you know what, I'm, I'm not really a fan of this. Uh, I'm going to get out. Well, you don't have to go back up in the same elevator. You can go up in a different elevator. So you just switch. You're on the 17th floor and you go, okay, I'm going to switch to this elevator. And then you go up to the 25th floor. And the point is, as John was saying, the market, and I, I really am not a fan of that term, but it's just, it's one we can't escape in the industry. But when, when people talk about the market's up, the market's down, it's all about what your investments are doing. And if the, the market, if the investments are fluctuating, then you need to be sure that you're in an elevator, if you will, that is going to your destination. Now, it may not go there directly, it may not be the first stop that it makes. Again, the investments are going to fluctuate, but it's okay to come out of one that may not be the best fit for you and go to another one that is potentially a better fit for well, you. And a couple of other things I would say that if you were leaving the market and going to a fixed income investment to like a, a interest bearing investment, mm -hmm. then where the market is would determine when you sell and actually get out. Really what you're doing is you may be keeping the same actual investments. You're just trading advisors. Yeah. Or you might have new investments with the new advisor, but you're buying in at basically the same levels. Now, I do want to say, because we're usually talking about retirement assets, meaning that um, if you're making these changes, there are no tax implications. But if you're if you're making these changes with non-qualified money, right. then you do want to be aware of any tax consequences before you decide to sell. Uh, so that's a conversation I have with an advisor. Let's talk about the the issue uh, that she really started out with and that she's not happy with her advisor. I think the question has got to be, well, okay, Shante, why are you not happy? I mean, could it be the way he combs his hair or is it the way that he handles <laughs> your money or what? I'm, I'm being facetious there, but, but, but th there are lots of reasons. Yeah, though, there seriously. are lots of yeah. reasons. So if you're not happy, then yes, you probably should look for another advisor, but you don't want to go from the frying pan to the fire. You mm -hmm. don't want to go to a bad situation. So here's some things that I think you ought to consider. Number one, is the new advisor that you're going to a fiduciary? And I would add in there, are they fully licensed? Meaning, can they do everything? Mm -hmm. uh, meaning that if they only have insurance licenses, then then that's an issue because they're only going to offer insurance products. And so, while insurance products are fine, they're not fit for everything in your portfolio. So if a repairman comes to your home to work on, let's say, your washer, and they open up their toolbox, and all they have in their toolbox is hammers, I don't think this is the repairman I want working on my washing <laughs> machine because everything to him is going to look like a nail and he's just going to hit it and that's it because that's the only tool he has. An insurance only 
person, uh, and I hate to even use the word advisor because technically they're not, but but uh, people who are looking for a person to help them would loosely use that term. So somebody who only has their insurance licenses, they only have one tool in their in their toolbox, uh, and that's just not the best fit for you. You need somebody who can go, oh, I need a wrench. Okay, we've got a wrench. We can solve your problem with a wrench. Shantae, the number one thing that you want to know from your advisor is, am I getting a comprehensive written plan? And I'm not talking about a sales projection of some product's performance. I'm talking about a written plan that actually talks about your money, what you're going to do with your money, how you're going to invest your money, and how you're going to utilize your money. Those are things that a true advisor is going to look at, and they're going to take the time to put together a comprehensive written financial plan for you. Let's talk about some of the areas that that would cover. And some of this is based on your, your age. It would vary a little bit. And Shante, we're, we don't have uh, a reference on how old you are. So we're just kind of going to give a full picture here. If you are uh, fairly early in life, then, then that written plan should address whether you have a need for term life insurance to be sure that your family is still financially stable if you don't come home for some reason someday. So that needs to be looked at uh, as well as the investments both inside retirement plans and outside retirement plans, whether you're doing a traditional or Roth IRA on top of a corporate retirement plan. Um, And then also as you move forward through life, uh, that term insurance conversation changes more likely to maybe a long-term care insurance conversation, pension replacement if you're at that point. So there, there are lots of areas, taxes, Medicare, Social Security, those are all things that are included in Gen Wealth plans as people go through different stages of life. And those are things that it, it should not just be a conversation about investments. Your retirement should be more than just investments. Yeah, absolutely. And Shantae, I think that you also need to understand very clearly how your advisor is getting paid. Uh, And there is all this debate in the industry uh, about uh, commissions versus fees and that type of thing. You just need to clearly know, okay, what is it that I'm paying for? How are my advisors getting paid? How is the company getting paid that's advising me on this? And is there a conflict of interest? You need to clearly understand all of those things uh, when you step into a new advisor role. Let me give an example on this. Um, we at GenWealth, we don't believe that uh, one is good and the other is bad in terms of fee versus commissions. It is how are you as the investor going to use the product and what is the least expensive way for you to own that? And so as an example, and I'm not not recommending this, we're not even going to get into the details on this, but to use as an example, if you had real estate as part of your investment portfolio, real estate is obviously something that you don't buy one day and sell the next day. It's more of a long-term hold type of thing. So it would be more expensive for you to pay for that on a fee basis every year than it would for you to pay a commission-based payment on that and so have the cost built into a commission. So in that case, we're going to go, okay, we believe real estate is in your best interest in your overall portfolio for a portion of the dollars. Here's why. And in that case, we get paid on a commission basis because it's the least expensive way for you to hold that. And then if you have something that you're going to trade more frequently, you don't want to pay a commission on that every time that we buy or sell to like rebalance or whatever the case may be. The least expensive way for you to own those types of investment is through a fee-based product. 
I think one other thing I would say to Chantel is uh, whether or not your advisor has a backup, if you will. Uh, what happens mm -hmm. to your plan if something happens to your advisor? Janet, I've, I've been in practice for 35 years now, I think it is, and I've seen over and over and over again where someone has an advisor, they pass away, then they have to go to another advisor and that new advisor wants to change everything, everything about their plan. And that's not necessarily the right thing to happen. And I think that what needs to happen and what we've tried to create at GenWealth is continuity of your plan. So if you are a client of John Shrewsbury, John Shrewsbury passes away, then Janet Walker is going to step in or Candace Stanley is going to step in mm -hmm. or Scott Inman's going to step in. A, a GenWealth advisor is going to step in and you as the investor have at that point a written plan that our team has access to and you have obviously copies of it as well and so the new advisor steps in reviews that plan and can understand all right this is where Shante is and this is what needs to happen as far as next steps so really uh, I mean no offense to John he's the one who passed away in this scenario but but really it's okay uh, you know, we're going to miss him. But at, for you, in terms of the relationship with your financial advisor, your plan and your progress, you can move forward regardless. And, and John, we, we actually, uh, we talked about this just now in terms of if the advisor passes away, but uh, we actually years ago purchased a, I, I hate that our industry calls this a book of business, but that's what it's called. We, we purchased a book of business, meaning a client group um, from an advisor who had a health issue. He was quite young and right. had a very unexpected health issue and had to leave the industry because of that. And so um, we wound up being the backup plan for them. But in our case, if that were to happen at GenWealth, then we don't, you don't have to, as the client, worry about, well, am I going to just have some random new company that comes in and purchases this? We've got that plan in place. And it's important for you to understand as the consumer. Absolutely. Okay, let's go on to our next question. This comes from Frank in Little Rock. I am 48 and maxing out my retirement contributions. Is that enough on its own? What should I do next? Well, Frank, I would say that it really depends on a, a lot of different uh, questions that we would ask you. Number one, when did you start? Secondly, how much do you have? Third, when do you want to retire? And then how much will you need to have to be able to do that. And what I would say, Janet, is that Congress created contribution limits on retirement programs. Mm -hmm. They have absolutely nothing to do with your financial independence. It is a vehicle that is limited in the amount of money that you can put into it. Whether or not that's adequate for you is a completely different question. Yeah, we, Frank, we have no idea. I, I do appreciate you giving us an age, by the way, so we do know your, your timeline approximately, but we don't really know when you want to retire, you know, whether that's at 60 or 65, or maybe you go, no, I'm just going to keep working. Um, so there's a variable there. Um, but it, let's say that if you hadn't even given us that you're, you're 48, um, if somebody else said, hey, are, are, my, are maxing out my retirement contributions enough? Well, if they happen to be 58 
and they haven't contributed a dime until that year, then the answer is absolutely no. But what we don't know for you is, is how much have you already contributed over the years? How much do you have now? When do you want to retire? And and how much are you going to need to pull from this? Like we had the, the caller earlier in the show uh, that had the pension in place. That was Raymond from Boxite. We don't know, Frank, if you've, if you've got a pension. And if you have a pension, then you don't probably have to put as much towards your retirement accounts because you are going to have that income source. Janet, let's kind of exemplify the time value of money here because yeah. I think this is really important. And this question, if you have a if you have a $2 million goal for retirement, let's say, and let's say that you started at 30, you could get well more than $2 million in your retirement account at an assumed 7% rate of return. If you started at 30, you'd have about $3.5 million in your retirement account by the time you got to be full retirement age. By doing the contribution limits. By doing just the contribution limits. But someone who's 40, they would only end up with about $1.3 million for their retirement. Now, that's a good chunk toward that goal, but it's not hitting the goal. So you see how a lot of this depends on where you're at, how, when you started, and all of that type of thing. So I believe that, that in, in Frank's case, there's more to know. Mm-hmm. But I think what you've got to realize, Frank, is that there's a lot of places that you could go to put retirement dollars, maybe not on a pre-tax basis because you're maxing out your pre-tax dollars in your 401k plan, but you probably would be able to put some money into areas, other investments that are tax advantaged, we'll call them, and you'll have an opportunity to actually get there. The most important thing is you understand what you need to be contributing and what kind of rate of return you need to be getting. Because Janet, at the end of the day, I think that's the most important thing for this planning. Yeah, Frank, I I would say that uh, you have to know what you're solving for. And like John went through these two scenarios, depending on when these people started making their contributions, and one of them ends up with 3.5 million and the other one ends up with 1.3, 1.3 may be just fine. It may meet, it may more than meet all of the needs and desires that you have for your retirement. But you have to know what are you on track to do because, again, these uh, these contribution limits were built to make the rules for, you know, the, the country. This is what you're allowed to contribute. They are not built to define what you need to contribute for you personally. So there's some math to be done on that. All right, let's squeeze in one more question. This question comes from Emily from Bentonville. Emily writes, before I really understood how my money worked, I took out a 401k loan for my home. Should I pay it back ASAP? And if so, does the repayment count toward my investing percentage? John, before we get to the specifics about this one being a 401k loan for the home, because we're going to deal with with that in some detail here too, but I I want everybody else out there who has ever considered taking a 401k loan, maybe you have one now, maybe you're thinking about it, tune in to how this works. Don't go, oh, well, mine wasn't for a home, so it's different. You really need to key into the consequences, potential consequences of doing this. John, we've seen people who would borrow from their 401k for Christmas expenses every yeah. single year. So uh, like, understand that the rules are the same regardless of why you're using this. So uh, first of all, the repayment does not count toward your investing percentage. So you still have the ability to invest in that 401k and pay back the loan uh, at a full uh, contribution rate to the 401k. 
Keep in mind, though, that the 401k loan has lots of, of danger fraught with it. Uh, one is if you end up having to change employers, either of your own volition or your employer's volition. You know, one of the two uh, might happen to you. And if that's the case, then that loan becomes due and payable when you terminate employment. Now, you don't have a way of paying that back on a monthly basis because you're no longer employed with that employer and you don't have a way of doing that. So you either have to pay it all back or default on the loan, which sounds really bad. It doesn't affect your credit, but it does affect uh, your taxes and mm -hmm. your penalty if you're under 59 and a half. So that can be a problem uh, as far as a potential employer change is concerned. And I think the second thing is lost earnings. Yeah. So let me let me talk a little bit more about the taxation before we go into the lost earnings on the on the taxation of it. Uh, let's let's put some dollars to this. I, I'm going to work with a hundred thousand dollars. I have no idea, Emily, how much we're talking about, but a hundred thousand dollars makes for easy math. So in the state of Arkansas, you've got you've got not only your federal taxes but you've also got state taxes and then as John mentioned if you're not 59 and a half yet then you've also got a, a 10 percent penalty so by the time we get this money whatever dollar amount on top of your regular income so you're taxed at whatever effective tax rate on your income from your job but then if we've added another hundred thousand dollars onto whatever you were already making then that's going to bump you up in tax brackets and so let's say that you wind up being at you know at 30 percent uh, all total on that so 30 percent is an average on that hundred thousand that you're pulling out and then you've got uh, state taxes at, at another five and then you've got federal uh, penalty at 10 that puts you at 45 percent of this money just gone and uh, gone to taxes and I would bet that you don't have the ability to turn around and pull $45,000 to pay that out of pocket. So that's why we would really um, caution against keeping this because the reality is even if you're doing an excellent job, there are certain things that you cannot control about whether you are working there in the future or not. So it's important to get this as far behind you as you can. Janet, can we just uh, rant for just a moment about, sure. about this? No, nobody's going to take the mics away. Go uh, ahead. Uh, okay, that's probably <laughs> true. 401k is a retirement account. It's not a vacation account. It's not a home building account. It's not a, oh, I forgot my wallet and I need some money account. There's no reason to take money out of a 401k, no legitimate reason to take money out of a 401k other than for retirement. Now, obviously, if you have an economic disaster, we've seen on, medical emergencies where we were like, ah, just do it. And, yeah. and actually, there are some provisions to allow for things like that. Yeah. But uh, to do this loan thing really puts you kind of dangling out on a string mm -hmm. with someone else controlling the scissors. Yeah that's going to cut that string at some point, particular point. In time. I mean, John, we have seen in our careers countless people walk in the door and go, hey, I unexpectedly lost my job. I've, I've been there for 30 plus years. I didn't see this coming, but I find myself unemployed. I need to do something with my retirement plan. We see that all the time. What would have happened if oh, and by the way, I have a, a, a loan against my 401k? Um, 
the the reality is Emily you you do already have this and so don't don't hear us going oh my gosh this was horrible we want you to be able to move forward but we're also speaking to people who are listening and are considering uh, considering getting a 401k loan and we just would not recommend it there's so much risk that is completely out of your control all right we got less than two minutes so we're going to try to squeeze one more question in this is from virginia in jacksonville uh, she says i'm 38 and the only debt i have is my mortgage i calculated it and if i stop retirement contributions i could pay off my mortgage by the time i'm 45 is that a good decision so I'm going to couple this with an additional comment for Emily from Bentonville because we, we didn't talk about the lost earnings, but this really kind of goes together in, in both situations. If you're not contributing to your retirement plan, then you're you're losing this this power of compound interest over time is phenomenal you know john you talked about earlier in the show if somebody was making their contribution limits from age 30 and beyond then they wind up with 3.5 million in retirement if they wait until age 40 it's 1.3 million so uh virginia you're you're 38 and you know we don't know how much you already have in retirement how those numbers would would apply to you but the same concept applies to you I am a huge fan of accelerating the payoff of your mortgage. I, I don't want you to have that forever, but I also want you to find balance in that because you cannot regain in the future the opportunity of this time in your life and how much your money can work for you. Janet, you hit on the key that I was going to say is balance. You've got to think about, I think her timeline is a bit skewed here. You know, yes, having a paid off house at 45 would be wonderful, but sacrificing your retirement contributions in order to do that doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. I think you can do both. I think you can accelerate the mortgage. I think you can save for retirement and be on track to be debt free from your mortgage before you retire and be on track to have enough money for retirement. I think that makes a load of sense. All right, you heard the bell. That is uh, the basically the end of the show, except for our final thoughts. And Janet, I will start with you. John, we had a little bit of a unique show today in that a lot of these questions really kind of kind of overlapped, and there were some commonalities in them. Um, I, I would just say to you, if you're if you're listening, and some of this hit home. I think the the one thing that you probably heard throughout is it depends. What are your specific numbers? We're asking more questions. And we are here on the show to give some overall, you know, wise counsel. But the most important thing is that you understand your numbers, your details, your retirement. So if you've not taken the opportunity to meet with a financial advisor, all you need to do is call us to get your personalized plan. Uh, you can call toll free 866-653-PLAN. That is 866-653-7526. And if you have questions about retirement, investments, or your money, you can text them at any time during the week to 501-381-5228, or you can call that number and leave a voicemail and just state your question. We'll use that on the air, and we will try to get your question answered here on the Get Ready for the Future show. 
Janet, let's talk one more time about the seven steps to financial independence, seven steps to build a sustainable life after work. It's very easy to obtain that document from us here at GenWealth. You simply go to getreadyforthefuture.com forward slash steps or email us at show at getreadyforthefuture.com. And that's all the time we have for this week's Get Ready for the Future show. Scott Inman will be back next week, and um, I'm not sure who will be here. but It'll be a surprise. Yes, it will. Thank you for listening to the Get Ready for the Future show. If you enjoy hearing from the Gen Wealth team every week, make sure and subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help us get the word out on building towards financial independence, leave us a rating and review. The Gen Wealth Financial Team is available to you 24-7 at info at getreadyforthefuture.com or call our offices at 866-653-PLAN. That's 866-653-7526. You should personally consult a financial advisor before making any investment and no strategy can assure success. Securities offered through LPL Financial. Member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Independent Advisor Alliance. Independent Advisor Alliance and GenWealth Financial Advisors are separate entities from LPL Financial.